0: Raleigh, and this is Listen On Air. Flat Time House is the former studio and house of John Latham, who died in 2006. John was a pioneer of British conceptual art, and I recently went to Flat Time House to visit Gareth Bell-Jones, the director and curator there. We talked about John, his work, and his theories, as well as the programme of exhibitions and events that Gareth curates there. The exhibition programme explores ideas within John Latham's work and their continued importance today. What struck me greatly about Flat Time House is how it is activated by you physically inhabiting it, walking through it and discussing it. It really is a site of discussivity and Gareth was incredibly generous with his time and knowledge.
1: Thank you very much for for coming. Um, Really happy to do the podcast. We do a lot of tours here actually, so it's quite important because a lot of people don't know what we are. Um, People on the street see this giant book that's cantilevered through the front of the building. And there's all sorts of rumours about what we might be. One of the people that used to work here was talking to someone in the shop, and apparently she said she worked at this gallery down the road, the one with the book, and she said, oh, no, 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 that's not a gallery, that's an accountant's." (laughs) (laughs) And so it seems that there's a bit of a mythos emerged around the place which seems kind of appropriate because of the artist who lived here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're in a, a kind of what was for a long periods of time a rather unsalubrious part of London. When John Latham first moved here, this was almost like a slum area. It was very, very poor until the late 90s. Um, what was the
0: year he moved here?
1: So, so John Latham moved here in 1985 and lived here through to his death in 2006. Him and his partner, Barbara Stavini, had split up and they decided to move from where they'd been staying in West London. I think they bought their place in, 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 in uh, Notting Hill for about 3,000 pounds. Um, and I think at the time, Peckham was an incredibly cheap area to, to buy a property. And so, it's a three-storey property, and what constitutes Flattime House is on the ground floor, and there is a, a residential spot on the, on the first floor. So, we're currently in the street outside Flattime House, yep. and you can think of this as, in John Latham's cosmology, and understanding how he thinks of Flattime House as a living sculpture, we're currently situated symbolically, and actually, in wider society. And you have the book sculpture here Mm -hmm. in front of you. Two books interleaved together Mm -hmm. to make this symbol of received opinion. And as we go inside, we go past this pane of glass. So this book is transitioning through a state naught, a transition point, the symbol of nothing and the atemporal, and the symbol for transition, paradigm shift into this room, the mind, which is a room for reflective, intuitive thought. And we have John Latham's selection of artworks to communicate his ideas where he wants you to to understand this. And this space is operatingly in tandem with the hand at the rear of the space. That's the studio where John Latham made his work. Mm -hmm. So this is intuitive production with reflective, intuitive space here. But this wouldn't exist without... This room behind it, and this is the brain, so this is where John would do his admin, this is where I do the admin for Flattime House, and where we have the archive and where this is situated. You need to go through this space as you in- go into Flattime House. We then go into the shift, and you can see that this is spray painted onto the walls by John Latham. You've got these lines, these arrows that are sprayed onto the walls here. This, this is another transition point, and then we have the body event, and this is the kitchen. This is the space for all instinctive activity to take place. This is where we have the taps and the plumbing, <laughs> as John Latham would call it. This is all these bodily aspects. This is eating, sleeping, drinking, excreting, potentially procreation in the bedroom, <laughs> keeping the species going. Yeah. These are, this is where everything that humans need to exist... Uh, the lower time-based stuff. And then, finally, this is this is, this is mainly used as the main exhibition space for Flat House, this beautiful skylight with all this light coming in, and this is the space where John Latham made his work. And now we're in the garden. Um, so, if you're part of the public, you wouldn't see this, but it's a... A shed <laughs> <laughs> that's full of various bits yeah. of timber and things for installing exhibitions. These are from
0: Lena Herndorff's show, are they? These, yeah. and then we have
1: no. some large yeah. sheets of reinforced glass here. Huge sheets for 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 Lena Harnsdorf's show. Yeah. Um, when when was that? That was late last year. We did a show in oh. autumn. Uh, yeah, yeah, l- yeah, late last year. Yeah. Um, she's a, a young German artist. Um, who studied at the Schule, And she, when, when we do a show with an artist, I normally give them like a year to get used to the context of working with John Latham because his ideas are, immediately appear so complex. Mm. After some research, you can maybe see that it's actually just the way that a lot of people intuitively understand the world. I don't think he's as difficult artist as people expect. Um, I think his ideas are are expressed in a way that are intuitive rather than rational. And so it can appear difficult, but it's just because um, he's communicating in a different language.
0: Mm.
1: He's using a different lexicon of terms. When when we work with an artist, they need to learn this language to, to, to kind of know how to work within the context. And so Lena spent some time researching and working as all artists that we work with do. And they also need to come to terms with working in a domestic environment. The space has to remain a domestic space conceptually for it to, to continue to operate as Flattime House, mm-hmm. um, as a living sculpture. And so you need to, to kind of understand this way of working as well as understanding, like, the conceptual framework and and context. What what I try to to explain to people is that I don't want people to make shows about John Latham. I want people to be aware of that space and and how to inhabit that space and to work intuitively in it. But I don't want people deliberately attempting to make work, um, or at least maybe I, I don't want people to is the wrong way of expressing that, but... Um, I don't encourage people to deliberately make work about John Latham. I think that would be redundant. I don't think that would be what John Latham wanted. Mm. Rather than a a museum of John Latham, this is a a kind of museum of John Latham's ideas. It's a, a space for communicating how his ideas are situated within wider society. And that was how John Latham intended it when he opened the space up to the public. Um, himself, a kind of pseudo public space, and that is how we've continued to we've tried to continue mm. working with the space. So when Lena, Lena started working with us, she had plenty of time to research. But first of all, she'd been invited because there was already an affinity there. She worked with sheets of reinforced glass mm-hmm. in a way that was um, she didn't she didn't know that John Latham worked with glass in this way but there was a relationship in the way that it constituted a, a physical shift from one space to another and a conceptual shift. Mm-hmm. She, but there are also many other aspects of her work. The, what she proposed for the space was to divide the rooms uh, with, with these dividing walls of reinforced glass. And then we had a computer cro- controlled sound installation which went from space to space to space to space. If you followed the soundtrack, you, you move from one space to another. And so you inhabited the space in a different way. And also, I mean, one thing I've tried to do with a lot of the the, the programming the shows is to almost use the exhibition format as a, a, a stage set and a space for live performance. So with Lena Hermsdorf, there was a live performer in the space who was also the same character in the... the the soundtrack, so aspects of her life, data from her medical records, um, exercises and aspects of daily life. So inhabiting these domestic spaces, these rational spaces and intuitive and uh, instinctive aspects of her practice were expressed through this kind of uh, sound environment.
0: When you say, um, uh, you were sort of talking about performances occurring more like uh, you you just said the term stage set is that something that you it's happening kind of with lots of the shows that are taking place here and like why why do you feel that you're arriving at, at that kind of work in relation to to flat time house
1: well um john latham's cosmology his worldview was one that was based on time rather than on objects and space mm-hmm. so if we consider all work being event-based and time-based including physical objects and sculpture then I think it helps to make explicit this time-based aspect in some work to, to help communicate that the exhibition is also a time-based environment that the exhibition is an event so that there is an event an overtly event-based aspect of the show. Mm-hmm. It's a space for discussing either, either using language or, or through visual forms or, or through art objects and, and non-material art things, having this discussion around the whole nature of human existence, how these ideas fit within wider society, which is why it's very important that we're in Peckham, um, in a residential area. Having someone living in the space and having it functioning in, in in a in a in a domestic way alongside these conversations is absolutely integral to what Flat Time House is. And also integral is is this what Latham thought of as like a rational aspect. The bureaucratic structures of the institution are also on display in the office where I where I work and where I sit everyone has to go past me to come into this space. (laughs) I have to have a conversation with every single visitor. So I I sit in the space and I have to to ask, have you been here before? Because if someone hasn't been here before, they won't know what the hell this is. It's a very alien space, especially if they don't follow contemporary art or don't go to many contemporary spaces because there's a giant book in the window. Mm. But um, <laughs> I, I once had a stag do. <laughs> <but> they, <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> and they, they, I think they you know, were at the start of the night. They weren't, too, <laughs> they weren't um, completely uh, gone by this point. But they were like, what? They were just laughing. And then I was like, well, this was the space of a conceptual artist. Mm-hmm. He lived here. Um, it's now an art space, and I started to tell them about John Latham's ideas. And so ended up with these six lads on a stag do, having a conversation about the structure of the universe and (laughs) the position of creativity and intuitive thought within this.
0: Amazing. At this point in our conversation, we came into the kitchen, the body event, and I asked Gareth if he could talk about some of John Latham's works hanging in the front space, The Mind. You can see images of some of the works he talks about on our website.
1: I'm going to um, give a, a kind of introduction to John Latham's ideas. So so he would sit in a camp chair, members of the public or artists who were interested in his work or students would come in here and talk to him and he would be in, sat in this space ready to, to meet members of the public. For the last three years of his life, this became a pseudo public space, a, a, a kind of a museum of flat time, and he selected these four works, or potentially five, depending on how you understand this piece, as as ways of entering his cosmology and thinking um, and understanding his mode of thinking, his art and ideas. So I think the the best work to start with when looking at the works in this space is this one work with one glass plane, slightly larger than, I mean, I'd say that was about a three size, held on a small piece of wood, white piece of wood, and on the right, right next to it is a white plane. This is foam board, and they're held together by these two white pieces of wood, almost as if they could slide out to the left or slide out to the right. And so this is a piece of work that he made deliberately for this space in 2003 uh, called Proto-Universe, which gives a hint to perhaps what he's trying to say with it. It's very minimal. Without knowing John Latham's practice or ideas, it would be very hard to say what this was trying to communicate. And you would probably think, with an art historical knowledge, that this related directly to the language of minimalism. And that is perhaps coming out of this, but I think it's helpful to be introduced to the way that he used materials symbolically. So to understand this piece, it's really very useful to understand what glass means for John Latham. So for him, glass was symbolic of nothing, literally nothing, <laughs> which is slightly more complex in John's cosmology because for him, no time and no space and no thing, but simultaneously this also means the atemporal, that which is outside of time. This is where we begin with a little bit of theoretical physics, and I'm gonna display my limited understanding. Mm -hmm. But if you try to imagine the point of the Big Bang, and if you try to imagine before the Big Bang, It's very difficult because there wasn't a before the Big Bang. There wasn't any time. There wasn't any space. And so it was nothing. And you can think of this in these kind of terms. Mm -hmm. So on the left, you have a piece of glass that you now know is symbolic for nothing in the atemporal. And on the right, you have this white plane. And the white plane is symbolic of something which is incredibly important in John Latham's work and that is something he called the least event. So the least event is of huge significance in John Latham's practice and this is essentially the smallest something that there can be, which again seems a bit difficult because there can always be a shorter duration, but when you get into the realms of theoretical physics, there is actually a unit which is a shortest something, and that's called a Planck time. This is a tiny, tiny duration. It's the time that it takes for a beam of light to pass through the diameter of an electron whilst in a vacuum. So in, in, in general relativity, things operate in a way that humans expect them to. Time goes forward, gravity operates, etc. Mm. Once you get into the realm of durations below a Planck time, we're in the realm of quantum physics. And once you're you're working in quantum time, things can exist in two positions at the same time. Things can move backwards in time and teleport, mm. time travel is possible. On on. <laughs> mm. And so it's, it's very, very hard to understand the universe, for me at least, <laughs> when, when you're dealing within um, quantum physics. The Planck time is when subjective understanding of the universe for humans begins. And so with proto-universe you have nothing and then the smallest something. So, I began talking about this one in relation to the Big Bang. So if you imagine a universe expanding from nothing or a non-dimensional point, the universe expands, 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 expands. Durations get longer. The duration of the universe existing gets mm-hmm. longer all the time that we exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next work that we have here is, is a work from... 1980, actually, and this is one of his works that he called a, a one second drawing. And you can think of this similarly to the, the white plane as being a least event. So, this is spray, this is black spray on a white piece of paper. And in there, you can see a smudge in the center of the black spray. And looking at it, you can, it looks like kind of spray paint. ...sprayed onto paper. It looks like exactly what it is. But when you you think about the way that John Latham's thinking... ...you can also think of this as an event. This is something which took place symbolically in an instant. But then aesthetically, you have something... ...which could be the entire universe in negative. All the little points of spray could be different galaxies, potentially. This could be absolutely everything or it could be the smallest particle that could exist under a microscope. This could be aesthetically how that might appear, or it could potentially be a human cell under a microscope. And then to emphasize this, you have this human interaction with the spray, this kind of thumbprint or something that's been pushed across the surface. So that you have the presence within the universe, within the smallest particle, human experience. And all of this has been expressed in this instant. So we've kind of moved around the room a little bit. You've gone from this one work, which is nothing, to the smallest something, to the implication that there's a human presence within within this system. And then we get to a third work. And this one is the first work which introduces another symbolic medium in John Latham's work, and that is the book. So you can think of the book as a symbol of hierarchical forms of knowledge, what he would call received opinion. And here on the bottom left is a book that's been burned. It's covered in plaster. It's very messy. The canvas that it's on is uh, frayed around the edges. The, the canvas to, to the above right. So it's a triptych. It looks like the book is emerging from the canvas in a more regular fashion the canvas is much neater and then at the top a plain white canvas with nothing on it. And he, he uses a, a literary reference as a symbol for his work and that is uh, Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. This is another key aspect in John Latham's work. So at the bottom left the messy canvas he uses um, the three brothers of this book uh, symbolically as well. Mm-hmm. So we have Mitya, the elder brother, he was very instinctive in the way that he thought. The book that emerged from the canvas, the the much neater book, this is Ivan, the middle brother. He was very scientific and rational in his thought. And at the top, the plain canvas, is Alyosha, the younger brother. He was very intuitive with the way that he approached the world. And so with this literary reference, what he is attempting to do is encompass different modes in which humans exist within society. Then the next work that we come to, this is is almost operating in a different way to to the the trajectory that we've just been on. And this is the roller work. Um, So this is a mechanized roller painting. And this is more clearly it appears almost like a diagrammatic tool. It appears as if this is a learning aid, a teaching aid. He made this one in 1987, and he did use this for discussing his ideas and communicating ideas. At the top, you have a panel with a roller, a metal roller attached to it with a piece of canvas rolled around it and, uh, and supported by it. On the roller itself you get the front of the painting. You can only see a small part of it. And the canvas that comes down below, you're able to see the spray paint through the paint, through the reverse of the canvas. On the board at the top are some letters, A, M, P, Q, R, U, Z. So you have a system going through from from A to Z, from the bottom of the alphabet to the top. And John intended this roller as a way of communicating different modes of time and communicating um, time-based understanding, but also what he latterly called flat time. He he called this work a score for the universe as well. He began making these roller works uh, because he had to store his paintings somehow and he would roll them up in the house and then he didn't know what to do with them. So he started using them as blinds. And then he was fascinated by the idea that Everyone outside the house could see these works, but people in the house couldn't. And then he began showing them on rollers, which could be unraveled. And you could only see the tiny bit of the painting at the top. And as they went up and down, the, the painting that he saw would move from side to side. I've just turned the roller on. And what you can see is that the flecks of paint on the front of the canvas, on the roller, are constantly moving into the past and the reverse of the canvas is extending and dropping down to the floor. So now I've just changed the direction and so the canvas is beginning to come up and you can see through the canvas these points and you can think of these points of spray like events. They could be individual words that I'm saying, the entirety of this conversation or podcast or you can think of them as potentially the entirety of human existence and at the top of the canvas they're always moving from the present into the into the past so so this is how humans tend to understand uh, the space is constantly going forward but you have these uh, other ways of communicating time together in the same work
0: Following this, we continue to talk about the ideas in John Latham's works, how he arrived to making art in the first place, and further about the history of Flattime House and how it came into existence.
1: It only became Flattime House in 2003. Previously, this was 210 Belndon Road. He lived here from 1985 up until 2006 and it was only in 2003 that the, the book work was installed and that he made this essentially retrospective of his practice in the front space. So the, the small gallery at the front mm. that you have is a self-selected retrospective by John Latham, taking works from different aspects of his practice, putting them together to communicate intuitively his whole cosmology. But then... That room, which is deliberately selected, that room that he called the mind, that he deliberately selected as a space for this reflective, intuitive thought, can only exist because of the administration that takes place in the room behind it, in the office, the room that he called the brain, a space for rational thought. But that space where all the administration bureaucracy is done so that people are able to think intuitively only exists because of the room that we're in now this is the kitchen living area it's situated below his bedroom and his bathroom and this is what the space that he called the body event and this is where you eat and you drink and you go to bed and you excrete and all of the disgusting things <laughs> <laughs> that humans do in order to stay alive. um, This is where that is done. And so this, without these aspects, you wouldn't be alive and you wouldn't be able to do the other aspects. And so what you have is a system taking place. Um, John was approached by Suffolk Council in the late 90s. They decided to begin a... I suppose the new Labour government had put money towards a scheme or an idea that for, for cultural regeneration that art and culture could be used to relieve poverty in inner city areas and Suffolk Council decided to begin a project called the Belden Road Renewal Scheme and rather than spreading their money throughout... They focus a lot on this one road that had good hu- housing stock but was very, very poor, but also, interestingly, had a community of artists living on it with studios. So down the road, Anthony Gormley had a studio and he was commissioned to do the Corten Steel bollards that you find on the street. Yeah. Tom Phillips had a studio and he was commissioned to do a couple of mosaic murals and the lampposts. And John Latham was approached to... Originally, I think he was, he was asked if he wanted to make a monument, which he thought was a, a stupid idea, <laughs> if I think of this correctly. I think. But the invitation, the house at this point was in a really dilapidated state. Is, the, the skylights were leaking. Uh, it was dripping everywhere. If you talk to his assistant at that time, Lord Provo, she'll tell you about how uh, the house was a real state and that it's, it's, you know, it really needed fixing up. Um, and he thought, okay, well, this is a way to kind of, I can get some money from the council to fix up my house. Mm, (laughs) So there's a kind of practical aspect, I think, you know, this is looking through the archive and trying to read between the lines Mm, and work things out. But, um, he also, the invitation made him think about, you know, what, what is an effective way of communicating my ideas to an audience in where I live in Peckham? And he started to think of his house itself as a kind of perfect monument to bring together all the ideas from his practice throughout his life, in a way. I mean, this is a dispute as well. This is me reading between the lines. I didn't know John Latham personally. But um, he started to think of, of this space, the space that he inhabited, as the perfect way of communicating this system. And he designated this cosmology, this... The way that humans exist within society, thinking of that, well, this is actually where I exist within society. This space is how I produce work, how I communicate ideas within white society, which is literally outside. And so, he designated the house a living sculpture. He called it Flat Time House after his the final name for his cosmology that he built up, and. Um, through support from from outside, he built the, the face sculpture, the giant book that goes through the front, and then he anthropomorphized the space and gave the rooms the different attribute of a body, the mind, brain, body event, and the hand, which was his studio. And so what you find is that a system is operating and that his different ways of thinking about how humans exist within the universe are taking place in these different rooms and they exist in close proximity to wider society. So it's, so it's almost as if the entire outside of Time House is also another symbolic part of his work. Uh, this is the context in which he is operating and Time House works directly within that context. The book sculpture transitions from wider society into a space of reflective, intuitive thought through this pane of glass which is another symbolic material in John Latham's work. I mean, he opened the house to the public at this point when the sculpture went in. So the the book sculpture, he thought of as helping people to understand that something unusual is taking place here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and so a very important part of Flattime House as an institution has been to... To communicate these ideas, and we continue to do tours, and we continue to talk about John Latham, but in the knowledge that he would almost certainly—I mean, I do not I, th- I think I do a good job, but I, I, don't, <laughs> I, <don't>, I, <laughs> I just think he would. I'm pre, I'm just pre, pretty certain he's such a contrary figure that I just think that he would he would um, just say, "No, you're wrong. No," <laughs> um, but. but <laughs> But um, it, the way that he used language was also another art form as yeah, well. Yes. So when he talked about his work, you need to, to, to think of it as like looking at his art objects mm. and that there is, there is an intuitive process that go, mm. you have to go through in listening to him or reading his writing about his work. You need to approach it intuitively as well. You can't just um, understand it. You, you can't approach it expecting to just be told what to think that was the antithesis of Mm. what John Latham was trying to do you need to work Mm. Mm. and you need to think for yourself and this is the entire this is another aspect of what he was trying to get you to do Mm. or what he think thought society could be improved by people just thinking for themselves more and questioning what they're told
0: Lastly, I asked Gareth if he could tell me his favourite anecdote so far from his time of working at Flattime House and what else he has coming up.
1: I mean, one thing about Flattime House is that it doesn't, it doesn't look like it did when John lived here. And that's incredibly important because things change and it changes for every exhibition that we do. So when we did a show with Mark Mishamovitz, he, he wanted to, to, to bring colour to the space. I mean, he works with a lot of pastel shades. He's known for this. We invited him because he works with domestic environments and he was a contemporary of John Latham. They showed together at Gallery House in 1970, 71. And so he covered the whole house in brightly coloured carpets, painted the walls all different colours, and presented his glasswares when normally we would show John Latham's books. So for each exhibition, we encourage people to, to choose to entirely transform the space. John Latham inherently disagreed with the term heritage. And so I am in this interesting position of looking after the legacy and essentially what people, some people might understand as the heritage, is a heritage space to some extent. So how do you consider heritage when the artist whose heritage you're looking after disagreed with heritage? And the way that we choose to do that is by embodying his ideas into the institution but not um, keeping the space exactly as it was. So it changes and the ideas change and the way that we interpret John Latham's ideas may change in relation to changes in society. Mm. So when he lived here, this room had a wooden ceiling. It was quite dark. It was messy. Um, there was work everywhere. But it's important to know that this isn't as, exactly as it was. After he died, actually, the Latham family members decided to do some, some emergency kind of fixing work to the place and did it up and installed a new kitchen. And um, I was told this story of one of the decorators that had been invited in. He was trying to put a splash back in, and I think... J.P. Latham, his, uh, John Latham's son, came in and caught him trying to install one of the panels of the story of the Rio... <laughs> 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 uh, ..behind the hob. <laughs> um, so, you know... I mean, the, we, we deliberately have a number of Latham works around the place. We, we have his spray-painted works on the walls... But we try to have them here as if, as part of the house, so that they, they, they're here alongside cookery books and all the office materials and things like this. And, and so we, we exist alongside his physical works, but also his, we, we exist within this conceptual space as well. By using it as a domestic space... It needs, it needs to operate in these three different ways in, in order for it to still be flat-time house. If we stopped um, the residency programme, if we stopped people living here, then that would take away the instinctive aspect of his, his what flat-time is, and so it wouldn't be able to exist. We would return to being 210 Belden Road. Mm. And it needs to operate in these three different spaces. It needs to operate... Instinctively, it needs to operate in a rational manner, administrative manner. So we have the archive in the brain now in this rational space. And so people come from around the world to look at his his correspondence with various different figures. We've got letters uh, to Noam Chomsky, uh, Stephen Hawking, postcards from John Lennon and Yoko Ono, various physicists, and influential, like, lovely letters from Lucy Lippard and things like this, saying, mm. I don't have any idea what this work's about, but I, I really want to include it in this show. <laughs> 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 or oh, your, your, explana- your explanation from the last letter, I, I can't follow it, but... Uh,
0: in, in terms of the programme that you run, against, yeah. what's, what's the next
1: show that you have coming up? So I try to, to, to structure the show on um, the programme... Around to do around four shows a year but then if other things come we, we can be flexible and do that because we're a very small institution we can just do things at short notice and I invite artists that have some form of affinity with John Latham's thinking or his work so I've been in conversation for some time with a German artist who hasn't shown in the UK uh, called Annika Kars who we're planning a show with soon and she works with sound and composition so she's really interested in how John Latham thought of the rollers as scores and she has been researching this aspect but then also I introduced her to the Hugh Davis archive so Hugh Davis is a sound um, artist and composer and he was a member of the APG and so he was another artist who was using incidental person practice within, within his work. But then if there's enough time for people to work with the conceptual territory, then they kind of get embodied in the work and then the, the work, the, the shows are more overtly event-based. Both these exhibitions will have performative aspects as part of them. Um, so you can think of the shows as exhibitions, as events, as... Um, I kind of like the idea of returning to the 60s model of happenings. (laughs) So we do loads of events here. Um, We recently did a show with Mary Hurrell, but it was a a show that only took place over the course of 20 minutes, but we had to install rubber matting all through the back space, and we had a sculptural installation, and it took place over the course of Sunset, and so you have this transition. So Mary did research here. She did a, a residency at the end of... 2017 and she spent some time looking at John Latham's use of materials symbolically as the transitions and then you have a work that's obviously part of the trajectory of someone's wider practice that isn't having to change to be situated within Flattime House to kind of exist within the context of Latham's thinking but is embracing it and it's existing within that the, the exhibition programme is only one aspect of what we're doing. So we work with a lot of educational institutions, recently very heavily with Chelsea, where they have been doing classes at Flattime House. And I tutor at the Royal College of Art, and cross-department their students come to Flattime House and have classes here... But then we also run our own education programmes, which are based on John Latham's way of thinking that you should re- reject hierarchical forms of knowledge, that you need to question what you're told in these kind of educational environments and distrust of of, of um, educational structures. And one part of the programming that we do is over the last year we've been doing the constellations program which is a program for artists who work within socially engaged practice and are from uh all sorts of different uh backgrounds and um this is deliberately trying to work with artists who are situating themselves within almost as uh, incidental people to think of the model of the apg and so we try to, to look at the many different ways in which John Latham works and come up with different aspects of the programme in which we can communicate that.
0: So you wanted to talk about the publication yeah.
1: that's coming out. So a, one way in which Flattime House expresses, like, the research aspect of what we do as, a, as an institution where for new modes of thinking, new ways of learning, as well as, like, production of artwork here, there's also a journal, NOIT. So NOIT is another Latham term, you can think of it as no it but also as the suffix shun, T-I-O-N, reversed. Shun turns a verb into a noun. So he devised the term noit to turn a noun to a verb, a thing, into a an action or event. We did the first issue with Anthony Hudek. The second with Lisa Lefebvre. The third issue we did with Mark Michalowicz after his exhibition here. And the fourth issue is coming up soon. And the, we've used a slightly different format. We're doing this with Noah Latham. Uh, Noah is one of John Latham's sons. And he has put together a collection of reflections, critical reflections and memoirs. On his practice, on John Latham's practice, and his relationship to his father, and so you have this very interesting, intuitive and subjective relationship with someone who's from someone who's been very, very close to John Latham, and then, as Noah Latham is an analytical philosopher, you also have this very objective approach to the critical way that John Latham has worked. So, Noet is dedicated to John Latham's art and ideas and so this time we've, we've, we've gone to someone who isn't an academic or an artist oh, well he is an academic mm-hmm. but not a, 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 an academic from an art historical context talking from this very close perspective about John Latham's work so yeah so we're really looking forward to this coming out and
0: is there a date?
1: well I think probably in July <laughs>
0: Flat Time House is located at 210 Bellingdon Road in Peckham, London, and is open Thursday through Sundays from 12 to 6pm when temporary exhibitions are on. During other times, it's open by appointment. I really can't express how brilliant it is speaking with Gareth, so do go and visit.
1: There's been an error.
0: Listen Presents On Air is edited by Henry Law, and the title music is written and recorded by Victor M. Jakeman. To find out more and to hear about upcoming episodes of On Air, sign up to the Gallery's newsletter on our website, listengallery.com. Thank you to Gareth Bell-Jones, Linton Talbot, Alison Thorpe and Zoe Ansbach. See you next time for Listen On Air.